Um, and if you don't have either of those, have a look at the screen because we are going to read in Luke chapter 10, that's been alluded to a couple of times, we're going to read the story of the Good Samaritan. I want you to read along with me um, and um, we will chat about that for a little bit. So in Luke chapter 10, we're going to start at verse 25 um, when you're ready to go. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, Well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Isn't that an interesting thing? You know, we all look at the same thing, but how do you read it? What do you read into that? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you'll live. Pretty simple. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And then we have that famous story, don't we? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead, as we discovered. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, so obviously spent the night, the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Jesus goes on and says to this lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbour to the man who fell among the robbers. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. This is a very, very common parable. We've probably all heard it before. We've, um, this has been, you know, if you've got your memories of, child, of, of your childhood memories in Sunday school, this is the flannel board comes out about now with the Sunday school teacher sticking the little, um, little figures on the flannel board. But... Like many parables, this parable has so many layers and has so much in it, and it could be a series of sermons. Um, but a real how you see serving and who we serve. And so sometimes it's always a good exercise to do a flyover of the text, uh, a flyover of the narrative or the parable or the story, and other perspectives emerge. You know, our parable starts with, the usual, with one of the usual suspects trying to trick or test or trap Jesus. We say that a number of times, don't we, where uh, the lawyers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees and people like that, they, they get into trying to trick Jesus. We're not told exactly what the test is all the time. We do know that the establishment, um, Pharisees, Sadducees, teachers of the law. Now, this, this was a lawyer. He wasn't a lawyer like you and I know him. He was a teacher of the law. They were called lawyers. So this was where they were constantly looking for ways to discredit Jesus. They were always looking for subversive ways to do that because they were too afraid to outright condemn or punish Jesus because he had a following and they thought they would, get, they would be set upon and beat. So the only way that they could try to undermine Jesus was to try to trap him or test him or trick him with the law and make him look silly, look bad, make a mistake. 
So they constantly tried to trap him. And they were offended with him. And the reason they wanted to do this is because he kept saying, the kingdom of heaven is here in me. He kept saying, I and the Father are one, which was blasphemous to them. You know, this is God. This is Yahweh you're talking about. He had these counter... They're not fit with their understanding. But if those ideas were somehow taken on, their standing or uh, the profiting or the way that they, their, their, their image might take a beating. The way that they had set up their life might not work so good. So these countercultural ideas were not to be propagated. It was uncomfortable. It was threatening their... Pros- See this guy come up and say, what shall I do? To inherit this kingdom, this eternal life you're talking about. And we know that Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven and being part of it because we know that there was someone else, the rich young ruler. Do you remember that story? Same question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This lawyer says the same thing. Jesus puts it back on him. And this standard answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus simply says, I love this, Jesus is so cool sometimes. Actually, Jesus is cool all the time. But I love this. He simply says, yep, do that. You know, talk about take the wind out of the sails of this lawyer. You know, lawyers like to talk a lot. And Jesus says, yeah, well, go and do that. This guy has no idea what's coming. Go and do that. Love God and love others. But he wants to prove that he already does this and and that somehow they need to prove that the establishment is right and has been right all the time. He tries to justify himself and and also their movement. And so he says, who is my neighbour? Kind of like, okay, prove it. Now this is really an off-the-cuff question because there was a real sense amongst the Pharisees, Sadducees uh, and the Jews that were high up that Jesus was encouraging them to connect with different parts of society, with those in the establishment that they didn't see as their obligation to serve. The Pharisees and Sadducees and the priests and Levites had mistakenly come to the belief, perhaps, let's be nice, they needed to love and serve, were other Jews and others that God had chosen. That those outside of that, God didn't really command them to love them. They didn't need to, people that didn't follow their way, they weren't really commanded to love. They didn't have to love them. uh, And they didn't have to consider them their neighbours, which morphed into more than we just don't have to love you, we don't need to uh, give you the time of day. It morphed into these are people we are allowed to oppress, these are people that we are allowed to marginalise in society or abuse. So you begin to see that Jesus is really, he has a whole other agenda here, doesn't he? He's really wanting to talk to them about you know, their lives and opening their lives. And maybe he wants to talk to us about that as well. Jesus cleverly turns the question from who is my neighbour to what kind of neighbour are you? So it starts off with who is my neighbour and Jesus shifts it now to having them to understand What kind of neighbour are you? He's asking, what kind of neighbour are you? And in fact, a little more deeply, if you spend more time in that, he's actually asking, who are you? And this is a question for us. It's not just, who is my neighbour? Is it the person out there in Scoresby? Is it the person that I'm at work with? But Jesus is asking us, but what kind of neighbour are you? Who are you? And each character Jesus uses in the story is chosen really carefully to deliver full cultural impact. You know, we start with a priest. 
Priests were the descendants of Aaron that we heard from um, Scott. Ironically, they were commanded to love all, but they used work, the work of the priesthood, the business of the temple, their interpretations of the ceremonial uh, laws in terms of distance and cleanliness, and some of that you got. Scott gave us the theology, you don't need that from me. Um, ceremonially clean. And um, they had begun to elevate those things as way more important than serving the average man. They decided that we need to do this, we're special, uh, the work of the temple's important, our interpretation's important, and that's more important than serving others, especially non-descendants if you're not part of the clan. Then you see the Levites, and you wonder, who are the Levites? Well, the Levites are kind of priests, but not quite made it priests. They're lower rung priests because they didn't come from the line of Aaron. They came from the line of Jacob, descendants of Jacob. However, they worked in the temple of helper priests. So they were, they were the ones that had to police all the Jewish laws and make sure that people stayed in line, that they did the right things. They were the ones that were busy organising the temple worship, setting up the chairs in the morning, making sure the... Um, uh, the announcements came out, making sure the collections taken up, uh, set up and planning of the temple. And so you have the priests and the Levites. Her third character, of course there's four characters, but our third character that comes walking along is the Samaritan. They're not only unclean, but they're despised. Did you notice that? Remember how I said before, they're not just people that you don't associate with, they're people that you're allowed to despise and you're allowed to hate. The Samaritans were despised people. Uh, part they were seen as religious heretics. They were considered imbeciles now, definitely unclean. And it follows that in order to follow all the laws to be clean, you don't have anything to do with them. If you're a priest, you're a Levite, you're a Jew, it would follow that if you're not going to be unclean, you don't want to have anything to do with a Samaritan. You don't even want to get close to a Samaritan. And then we note often Jesus' interaction with Samaritans. Do you remember the Samaritan woman at the well? Why was she at the well at the heat of the day? Who comes out at the heat of the day to draw water? Because she wasn't allowed to be around the women who came in the cool of the morning to draw water. That was their place. Jesus, And so the, the fact that Jesus got close, this is his characters really, he crafts them really carefully, doesn't he? This story would have totally shocked those listening. It would have been so Countercultural, maybe even not even maybe it would have been offensive to them to hear that where the listeners would have expected a Jew to be the hero of Jesus story instead they would have been shocked to hear that it's a Samaritan the Samaritan's the hero of the story Jesus paints a picture that leaves a gulf a chasm between the actions of the priest and the Levites and the actions of the Samaritan how embarrassing for the listeners for the lawyer the way that they treat people, the way they love their neighbour themselves could not be further removed from the way that Jesus is describing it. The dichotomy would just be glaring them in the face in this moment. The way he describes, let's look, the priest and the Levite, they rush on by, they don't even go near, it's too risky, they're unclean, you know, it could be a dead body like um, Scott was explaining to us and that would mean that you know, they couldn't serve in the temple for the next little while. Their work, their life, their reputation, their position was way more important and that equaled zero compassion. Their hearts had been made cold. 
Probably, and, and, you know, the, this whole thought that it might have been self-inflicted anyway. This guy probably got himself into trouble or he might have been drunk or he might have been doing the wrong thing. So it's not my problem and I certainly can't take my precious time and I definitely can't allow it to cost me anything. So that's a priest and Levite. Then Jesus describes a Samaritan on the other hand. He stops. He goes over to look. Jesus uses the words, he's comp- he has compassion, he's compassionate, and he takes action. He touches him. That's significant. He touches the guy that's half dead. He binds his wounds. He uses his own oil and wine that it might have been for his own journey. He picks him up. He puts him on his own transport. You know, he's got a brand new car with nice leather seats, and he puts this bleeding bloody guy right in the front seat. Okay, it was a leather, but it was on a probably a camel or an animal of some sort anyway. He picks him, up, picks him up and puts him on his own transport to get him to safety and rest. Puts him in an inn at his own cost. Two denarii was about two days' wages back then. And he tells the innkeeper he'll pay whatever the costs come to. That was radical generosity because it left him exposed, didn't it? He says, look, I'm going to come back and whatever the cost is, I will pay it. What if the guy does a runner? What if the guy isn't even thankful? And what if the innkeeper decides, this is cool, I'll rip him off. I'll, it'll be four times the price. There's no, he exposes himself. His generosity exposes him. His care and love and compassion exposes him and all that he is. Isn't that interesting? So Jesus said... So then, says to the lawyer, so who's the neighbour? It's kind of like a mic drop moment, isn't it? There would have been just silence. Well, I guess, where do you go if you're the lawyer? You know, you come up with another smart question. It's just, well, I guess the guy that showed him mercy. You know, it might be a little bit hard for us to appreciate the impact or the confrontation that they would have felt in that story. He's pretty much telling them that they have their priorities completely wrong. And they aren't doing this. Remember verse 28, he says, after the lawyer said, you know, love the Lord your God. And he says, you've answered correctly, do this. They now realize they aren't doing this. That's what Jesus is saying to them. Right now, they don't fit into this kingdom of heaven that Jesus has been talking about. Their culture, their practice, their lifestyle runs counter to the kingdom he's come to bring. You see, this kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, this kingdom is about restoring order, restoring peace. Shalom is the word. And shalom is more than just quiet peace. Shalom is that whole sense of order and peace. And that's why it's such a beautiful word. The kingdom was about restoring shalom to the world by bringing glory to God, reflecting him, reflecting his love and his mercy for all of his children, not just special ones. And loving our neighbour was going to be taking, in Jesus' terms, loving our neighbour would be taking the central place in bringing that shalom, bringing the kingdom of heaven. In the centre of the kingdom of heaven is loving our neighbour. There's a whole lot that happens in the kingdom of heaven. There's glorifying God, there's worship, there's, there's giving him the highest place. There's so many things. But right in the centre, Jesus is saying, is loving our neighbour. Jesus isn't just saying, don't be like the priest and the Levite, be like the Samaritan. That's not what he's saying. It's not only what he's saying. He's saying that you are so out of step 
you're actually like the beaten up man. You need a neighbour. You first need mercy. You need healing. You need your wounds fixed. You need to depend on someone to help you. You need to find that shalom. Then perhaps be like Sam the Samaritan. You're not even the Samaritan. You're the beaten man that needs a neighbour. We're here in Scoresby as a church to point to, to introduce and draw people into this kingdom of heaven. We're called to love God with all of our heart and love our neighbour as ourselves. The same thing. You know, Jesus would say to us, yeah, that's right, do this. We can talk about what it looks like in Caval or what it looks like in our kids' ministry or whatever we do. We can give it context and Jesus' answer is simply going to, you know, if, 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 if we want to describe loving God, as our, uh, loving God and our neighbour as ourself uh, in the context of a ministry of like Caval or youth or kids or anything, Jesus is going to say, do this. But he's going to ask, what kind of neighbour are you? As Christians, we've seen this parable as a prompt, haven't we, to be like Samaritans. Love our neighbours, practically and spiritually, and we'd be right in doing that. And that's a lot of what we do, practically. Yet it's really good for us to be asking ourselves these deeper questions as well. Who is our neighbour? Is it just the easy ones? The ones that think like or almost think like we do? The ones that toe the line and, and play by the rules that we set uh, and show the correct appreciation? Is it the ones that respond the way we want in not too long a time? You know, I can remember as a very, very impatient missionary sharing the gospel, and I can't remember where we were, and uh, in South America somewhere, and I remember thinking, it's not going fast enough for me. You know, these people aren't getting it straight away. They're taking, you know, they're going off and in a quick time frame or we, we lose heart. Is it those that we can identify with a little bit better culturally or historically or socially or behaviourally? Those sorts of things. Are, are they our neighbour? Or those that we get? You know, I don't really get you. I can't understand how you live or think like that. Is it just those that we get? I'm preaching to myself. Now, who is my neighbour? Is it the ones that I feel comfortable working with? The ones that make sense to me? They, they kind of share the same social values as me. Or at least they'll listen to me and smile and nod their head like they really actually want to listen to me. Who qualifies for us to love? them And demonstrate a love that knows no qualifications. And just as Jesus did to the lawyer... He would ask us, he would ask you and me, what kind of neighbour are you? How far would we stretch ourselves and our understanding? How far would we give ourselves or our resources? Having concern, having compassion, actually going to them. How far would we use our resources to calm them, to heal them? Would we leave ourselves exposed to what it might cost? Socially, no, practically. What if there's no result? What if we do that for ages? You all know what I'm talking about. We, as Christians, sometimes we can be, so, be results-oriented. and There's nothing wrong with that. We want to see people come into the kingdom. But that can become our main focus and we can skip around all the other stuff that God wants us to do to love them and become results-oriented. What if there's no result? 
Will we allow the command to love our neighbour to cost us? To cost us time, resources, our opinions, our ideals, our traditions? Would we be willing to redefine our life rules or our church practices to serve our neighbour? Sounds easy in a sermon, but then when you've got to do it, would we be willing to define those? You see, the priests had elevated form, practice, tradition, ideals. They'd organised that and they'd elevated that to way above loving and serving their neighbour. Have we sometimes done that? I was thinking of that this week, the way that we do church, the way that we, we speak to people, the way that... Have we sometimes done that? Do we have things that get in the way sometimes? Or can they? You know, these are, not, these are important questions. If we're going to minister, if we're going to love our neighbour, if that's central to the kingdom of heaven, they're important questions. If Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven being where shalom, order, peace is restored, these questions really matter. In Tim Keller's book, Generous Justice, I don't know if you've read it, um, uh, he says this, Reweaving shalom, I think actually, oh, I have got it up there. Sorry about that. Reweaving shalom means to sacrificially thread, lace, and press your time, your goods, power, and resources into the lives and needs. Tim Keller language, but basically what he's saying is it means to be sacrificial and give yourself and all the stuff you have into the lives and needs of others. As we read on in this parable, this parable reminded me this week and I believe it reminds us that we need it. We're often like that battered and beaten traveller that had had it not been for a neighbour, a neighbour that was compassionate, that was caring, that was touching, that was giving, that was radically generous and willing to be exposed, we would have died. Wouldn't we? The good news is that we have the best neighbour that ever existed. We had the best neighbour, the best Samaritan. We needed mercy, we needed compassion, we needed care. We were broken by sin. Death was my destination. It was all of our destination. But Jesus, the greatest neighbour, he had compassion. He touched us. He gave us what we need. He was willing to be exposed and pay a huge price, expose himself to violence and death so that we would be healed and we would live. We found mercy and healing. Now that's a neighbour. You and I, we needed that neighbour. And until we understand that we needed that neighbour, we will never be a neighbour, a good neighbour. You go and do likewise is much more than Jesus telling us just to go and start a program or do something. Like the audience he was speaking to in the parable, he's pointing to a heart issue in the hearts of these guys. And I believe that he's doing that for me and doing that for you. In that same book, Tim Keller said this, and I think we've got this one as well. Jesus taught that a lack of concern for the poor is not a minor lapse, but it reveals something that's seriously wrong with one's spiritual compass, the heart. In other words, a heart... Not bent towards grace and mercy has not experienced true compassion. When we ignore the poor, we show that we have not yet understood our own poverty. 
And that's why I say until we know that we, that we needed a neighbour, that we were battered and broken, we won't know how to be a neighbour. But praise God, we have the greatest neighbour that ever lived, the greatest image, the greatest Samaritan that ever. He did everything above and beyond. So you go and do likewise is for all of us. Not just the Glens who go to Cavell coordination team or the occasional time you go over in a part of uh, Cavell kitchen. You go and do likewise is for all of us all the time. In fact, that's what we know as one hope that we've heard from God as a part of his call on us here in Scoresby. Why we have Cavell, why we've had Glenn and now we welcome Jackie. Not so that they can do it for us, not so that they can just do it on our behalf, but so that we can follow the example set by Jesus and be neighbours to those that live amongst us and around us. However they look, however they act, may we look at people and see them as our neighbour, worthy of our care, worthy of the grace of Jesus Christ. May we be used by God to reweave that kingdom shalom right here in Scoresby. And perhaps even in our own and community and families as well, eh? And may we seek to be the kind of neighbours that model the greatest of all loving neighbours, Jesus Christ. It's a challenge, isn't it? Sounds really nice in a sermon. It's what the word says. Yippee, let's do it. But it's a challenge. You know, when you just... when you fly over something like that, you think, ouch, go and do likewise. I find that challenging. I find it difficult. I get, and particularly, and I'm going to be honest here, in the office here, I get into my schedule, I've got things coming, and people can become an interruption. Lord, forgive me. He calls me to be a neighbour. I'm human, don't get me wrong, you know. But I think we're called to be neighbours. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word that sometimes confronts us but also shows us the richness of your heart and just the riches and the glorious grace that you've given us. That we, um, having been in that place where we needed, we badly needed a neighbour to touch us, to do what it would take to heal us, to pay the price, to be exposed Yourself, so that we could be healed. We have been on the receiving side of the greatest neighbour that ever existed. Oh, Jesus, help us to model that same thing to those that don't know you yet, and even those that do, to be neighbours that are willing to touch, that are willing to care, that are willing to love, willing to bring the shalom of your kingdom. I pray that for us as a community, for us as individuals, in Jesus' mighty name, amen.